All right, so in our justice system, a person has to do what? Raise their right hand. All right, so when you go to testify, you get sworn into something, and that's because the right hand is a symbol of authority because 90% of us are right-hand dominant, and so that's kind of the sign of your power. And as I thought about this interchange about how we swear people in and, and what we're going to be reading today in Scripture, I wonder what would happen if somebody couldn't raise their right hand? You know, what if they couldn't do that? And I'm sure it's happened before, but today we're going to see Jesus ask a man to raise his right hand, and he's one that can't actually physically do it. His, his, his right hand is not functional, and so, but yet Jesus doesn't ask us to do something. He doesn't equip us to do, so let's jump in today and see what Jesus does and how he does his work. We're going to be in Luke 6, uh, verses 6 through 11. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. If not, it's up here. All right, so on another Sabbath, again, I, lo I love it's always on another Sabbath, it seems like, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us together today to be able to study your word. God, I've been really excited about this message this week as you've been working on me uh, and teaching me through your word. I pray that, that you teach us all and open up our hearts and minds to hear your word and what you have to say to us. Lord, it's such a privilege to be able to come and worship, to sing to you, to be able to worship in unity, listening to the word, to be able to fellowship together. God, it is such a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for the people here uh, that you brought to Cross Point. I pray that you continue to help us to grow in depth and in number and that you help us to reach our community. Uh, may, may we be changed by your word. May we be a people that is changed by your word and a people that are doers and not hearers only. And God, may uh, you be with us today as we glorify you. We love you, Lord. Amen. So today we're going to see three ways that Jesus is greater. And the first is Jesus is greater than fear. Jesus is greater than fear. I'm going to reread verses 6 and 7 for us. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. So here's another account on the Sabbath again. And he's in the synagogue. He knows that's where... The religious leaders are going to be. It's where people are going to be worshiping. And there's this guy that has a right hand that's withered. And the word for withered here was actually used often for plants that were dying or dead or also even like a ground when, it, when, it, when there's a drought, how it cracks and it just kind of looks really dry that way. The Greek word is actually zeros, which is where we get the English medical word xerosis or dry skin. If your doctor ever diagnosed you with cirrhosis, it's just a really fancy way of being able to bill for you having dry skin. Um, so, you know, you have to have a nice fancy word. That's what we do as doctors. We make up words just to sound smarter than we really are. It's just dry skin. Um, but yeah, so Luke is a physician. And so as a physician, you know, I'm reading this and he just tells us his hand's withered. And I mean, as a physician, I'm like, well, why is it withered? You know, what happened? Was he born with a withered hand? It's probably paralyzed is what, what, what that probably was if you're really looking. So was he born with a withered hand or 
Was it a traumatic accident that he had that messed up the innervation? Is, did he have a neurological condition? Did he suffer trauma? What was it? We don't know. But, you know, one day we'll be able to ask Luke. Luke, Luke, what, what was it there? Um, so uh, when we're looking this past week, I was playing some basketball, and God in his providence had me jam my right finger. And so I, I learned what it was like to, to do things with just one good hand. Now, granted, it was my left hand, which is good. It was only part of it. Not going to whine. Don't need any sympathy. We're good. Uh, my wife gave me some good sympathy this past week to make me feel better. I'd every once in a while ask her, be like, you know, can you just say, I'm sorry, your hand hurts. I'm just kidding. You know, we, we guys, we, we, we just need our wife just to tell us we're okay. Um, but, you know, I was reminded as I went to pick something up, these pains that kind of shot through there, I was like, all right, Lord, this guy, he had a rough life. You know, only having one hand, this was a blue-collar society. It wasn't like he had a nice desk job. He could just pick up a phone and do customer service. Like, that wasn't really something. So he likely had a hard time holding a job. He had a hard time, I mean, I don't know what, what, if they had to lace their sandals or how they put them on, but think about trying to put both of them on that way. Everything was just harder for this guy, and most likely this w- was what would have been a dominant hand, and now he has to turn out turn to be a left-hander at that. If, if any of you have tried to brush your teeth or do anything with your left hand, it is a lot harder than it looks. I mean, every time I've hurt myself, like trying to brush, it's not always the best thing. And we see that Jesus has compassion in this next section on this man, but we see the Pharisees are exactly opposite. As we look at them, they see this man as an opportunity to catch Jesus again doing something illegal on the Sabbath. Like, heal a man. Like, that's just illegal. It's amazing. But they're like these little evil detectives, as we mentioned before. They're like little evil minions waiting for Jesus to slip up uh, by, by doing something nice on the Sabbath. And the Greek word here that says that they watched him is actually a, a term that means to lie in wait for ambush. You know, they're like a lion just crouching there waiting for him to do it. Luke uses this term three times, and all three times it's about the religious leaders waiting for Jesus to do something. And then there's this man in the synagogue with his withered hand, and you're just wondering why he's there. And some commentators, again, we don't know that this is true. It's not beyond their evilness. But some commentators are wondering, did the Pharisees bring this guy to test Jesus and see what would happen? Like, yeah, we're going to invite this guy. Why don't you come to the synagogue this week and worship with us just to see what Jesus would do? And I think it's incredible to see that they knew Jesus' reputation, that Jesus would heal him. So if they brought this guy, that, that they knew that he was compassionate and merciful and he, it's because he's one with the Father. And we see in Psalm 103.8 here, the, the, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. They knew he loved the people. And he was especially compassionate to those with infirmities or those who were afflicted. And so there, there they were, ready to pounce. But Jesus knew the situation. He knew what was coming. And we're going to see in the next section, he continues to go fearlessly at these guys, despite knowing what was in their heart and what was in their minds. How amazing is it that as we look in kind of a a spoiler alert for those of you who haven't read the whole book of Luke, he's going to continue fearlessly to the cross, knowing that he is walking that way. He even tells his disciples multiple times, hey, this is going to happen. The Son of Man is going to be killed, crucified. He's going to raise three days later. He just continues to tell the people, yet he continues to do these bad things like kill people and forgive sins, as the religious leaders called them bad. But he was able to do this because perfect love casts out fear. We see that in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but for perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So Jesus Christ was perfect, so fear was far from him. He was the essence of perfect love in himself, and so his overwhelming love 
uh, prevented fear from ever getting a hold of him. He, he didn't have to be in fear because he was in perfect love and harmony with his father. He, he lived in constant community, so there was no fear in him, and it prevented fear from ever getting to him. So Jesus is greater than fear. Number two, Jesus is greater than man's frailty. Jesus is greater than man's frailty. Let's read verse 8. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. So the Pharisees and scribes are ready to pounce on Jesus like a lion. They're just ready to go. But as they'll continue to find out throughout all this entire account, Jesus is not some helpless gazelle that's just, you know, just sitting duck about to get pounced on by these lions. He is God-made flesh. He knows what's in the heart of men. He knows what's in the mind of men. And he brings the man with a disability over to him. And I love how it says he knew, he knew their thoughts. He's always a step ahead of the Pharisees. I was talking to my kids this past week, and I wasn't going to share this, but I just think it's just a great illustration. Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. I mean, you know, like the Roadrunner's always a step ahead. No matter what Wiley tries to do, he's always a step ahead. And man, like that just, I just see that when I look at Jesus and the Pharisees. It's like no matter what they do, they end up blowing themselves up over and over again. You know, they end up falling off a cliff themselves. And, you know, that's just, can you imagine how frustrated they were? And we're going to see at the end of this account that they were filled with fury, like madness, like they had completely gone nuts, like Wiley. You know, he just goes nuts throughout that because he continues to break their man-made laws. He continues to go toe-to-toe with them. And I, I think it's also important to see that Jesus has this, does this publicly. He doesn't say, you know, just do this discreetly. No, he says, come and stand right here. And he's ready to go toe-to-toe because, as we saw in verse 5, what did he just say to them on the last account? The Son of Man is what? Lord of the Sabbath. Remember, he, he called himself God two, probably three times here. The Son of Man, going to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. He is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. He is God. He is the Lord, Adonai, kind of going back, you know, God is Lord, and then of the Sabbath, meaning he created the Sabbath. That means he's part of creation, going back to Genesis 2. So this was a deliberate attack on the religious leader's Sabbath traditions. He could have healed the man later, after the, uh, the service, after a time there. He could have done it discreetly. He could have said, hey, come back tomorrow. He could have done anything like that, but he didn't. He stood toe-to-toe against the Pharisees and did this publicly. And I love the toughness of Jesus here, too. I mean, Jesus is, is no, no pansy. He is a tough guy. He didn't seek to appease the religious rulers. He didn't play the Mr. Nice Guy card and say, you know, I'm just gonna, don't want to rock the boat, don't want to offend anybody, I'm just gonna make sure I do this stuff discreetly. And I I know this sounds blasphemous, but Jesus was always kind and good, but he wasn't always nice. Jesus was not always nice. And you read the scripture, some of you are like, man, that was pretty harsh, Jesus. Like, that was a pretty harsh thing to say. He calls the Pharisees like a brood of vipers. I mean, here he's going toe-to-toe, and we're gonna see how he looks at them. And I, I think sometimes we have made this 11th commandment in the modern church. And it's thou shalt be nice and thou shalt never offend. Like those, it's the 11th commandment. You know, it's not in Exodus 20. I know it's, it's added. People write it in, you know, and especially in liberal churches, we see it really important. Like it's huge. And even in our culture that aren't, they're religious, like they're not really Christian, but they're like, yeah, you got to be nice because you're a Christian. You got to be nice. Be nice to each other. And if you say something that's offensive, even if it's biblical, that's not very nice. That's not nice. Let's, let's not talk about that scripture. We got to skip over that chapter because it offends. And I, I think we have to realize that these are not true biblical things because Jesus broke that commandment because it's a man-made commandment, and he broke that one. Uh, so as we look, when someone's in sin, 
then sometimes, you know, we start with a gentle rebuke, but sometimes it takes a more harsh rebuke. And it kind of reminds me of if somebody was out here walking across the parking lot and a car was coming zooming down, would it be really nice to just be like, you need to, you need to get out of the way. You know, just talk with this nice, sweet voice. You need to get out of the way. No, you would go, get out of the way. You're about to get hit by a car. Like, that would be the kindest thing you could do to that person is to scream at them in a harsh way to say, move, you're about to die. You know, but, but that's not nice that, that, to, to talk to somebody like that. So somebody may look at you and be like, I can't believe you yelled at that person to get out of the way. It's like, well, it's because I love them, and it's because I'm trying to be kind, but it might not have been nice, but I was kind and loving. And so sometimes we, we try to act like nice is in there, and sometimes we have to be more harsh with raising children. If we love our children, you know, sometimes we have to be a little bit harsher with our rebukes. You know, it's like, well, it's, it's not really nice if you hit your brother. It's like, and then they hit him again. It's really, you know, some, sometimes you, you got to be a little more direct and, and dro- drop some discipline. And Jesus was not always nice, but he was always kind, and he was always good. Now we're going to see Jesus attack uh, the religious leaders a, a little bit more offensively here. He, he's, he's not always, he, they, they think he's on, de- he's on the defense, but he's actually on the offense. Like Jesus is actually like picking this fight, which I think is also amazing to, to watch him. He just brings this guy up, and then he says this to them. I ask you, this is verse 9, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or destroy it? So he asks this rhetorical question to the Pharisees, and he aims for their heart, and he's going right at them. And it's important to see that there were no Old Testament regulations on healing on the Sabbath. You were allowed to heal on the Sabbath. God had never said, thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath. Completely a Pharisaical made-up rule. The Pharisees, as we kind of made fun of them a little bit last week with all their different rules. Like, you know, if you threw something up, you couldn't catch it with your other hand. You had to catch it with the same one. You know, hot water. You could, you could only mix them a certain way. You could only go this far, those kind of things. Well, they had really made the Sabbath very uh, difficult to tolerate. And one of those was if somebody was dying, it was a acute life-threatening thing, you could work on them as a physician. You could heal them. But if it wasn't life-threatening, then you couldn't. And so I can imagine that being difficult when somebody breaks their leg and they're like, well, you're probably not going to die from that. I'll pick you up tomorrow. You know, I mean, I think, I think that would have been pretty unmerciful, and Jesus sees this hypocrisy. And so where does he go? He, he goes to their, to their sheep. I love it. He, he loves to talk about sheep. We just see Jesus call us sheep. He talks about sheep a lot. And in Matthew 12, a parallel passage that goes along with this, it says, He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus is showing their hypocrisy, saying, you would pick up your animal. You, know, you all have horses. Your horse falls, well, it's a Sabbath. Sorry, horse, can't, you know, can't, can't deliver that, that, that foal today because it's the Sabbath. You're going to have to hold it in for 24 hours, and we'll consider delivering that baby tomorrow. You know, we can't, we can't, can't do that, you know, right? Like, that's not that's not merciful, that's not kind, and that's an animal. How much more a person made in the image of God that has a soul that lives forever, how much more do we need to do that there? And then note that Jesus touches another sin problem, and he, and he talks about the sin of omission. We're going to go into this in a minute. James four seventeen says this, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Uh, Jesus has compared not doing something to evil. And this is important. You know, a lot of times we're like, well, okay, I know if I do that, if I do that, if I do that, those are sins. I shouldn't do those bad things. I should do good things. Well, Jesus says if it's in your power to do good and you don't do it at all, that's the same as doing evil. Like, you know, if, if you have this, you, you could make a, an impact here. God has pushed you and said, hey, you need to do this. You're like, I ain't doing that. 
Well, I didn't sin. I didn't do anything bad. Yes, you did. You withheld good, and so that is the same as doing evil. And so the sin of omission is not doing what you should have done. I think. Let's see if I got this here. There we go. So, so the sin of omission is not doing what you should have done. The sin of commission is what we usually think about sin. And this is doing what you should not have done, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Sometimes we do bad things and we're so ignorant, we don't know God's word or something like that, and we do it and we're like, oh, I didn't, even, I didn't know that was a sin. And that's where the Bible's really clear to help us, to, to show us our sin, to help, help us repent and do what's right. A theologian, Robert Stein, says the following. The ultimate for him, issue for him, meaning Jesus, was not doing good versus doing nothing, but rather doing good versus doing evil, for failure to do good in such instances, in effect, to do evil. So just as the sin of omission is just as important as the sin of commission, doing bad things is just as bad as not doing good things. And we talked about Hosea 6.6, 6, that God desired mercy, not, not sacrifice. So moving on to verse 10. Jesus says this, and after looking around at them all, he says, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. I think, you know, a lot of times we jump right to the stretch out your hand, and that's a pretty big deal, and we'll, we'll get to that, that, that he's healed. But what does it say at the beginning? And after what? Looking around at them all. Like, we, a lot of times we, glo- we, we gloss over that, but I think this is incredibly important, because it says he looked at them all, individually, each one of them. So a lot of times, you know, when we do bad things, when we're thinking bad things, when we're in, we get this group and we think we're, we're safe. You know, it's like, well, we can bully that person because we're in a group and, and we're okay, or we can, we can be a part of this riot, or we can be a part of this, or we can do whatever because we're in a group. We can do this bad sin because we're in a group. You know, people feel safe when they're at a club or they're at this or if they're at a bar. If there's a whole group, you can do whatever you want to. But Jesus looks at each one of them individually. He knows each one of their hearts, each one of their minds, and each one are being examined as he looks at them. Could you imagine the intimidation of God himself looking you in the eye right before he goes toe-to-toe with you? It's just amazing. And the same way, we can't hide behind a group either. We can't hide behind this group. Oh, I'm, I'm a good person. I go to church. You know, I believe the Bible. We, we, we will all give an account individually before God. Uh, being a part of a church, being a part of a Christian family, knowing some Christians, volunteering at something, being in this group, that does not save you. And I pray that we all are ready for that face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. Because if we are believers, we will be able to stand with confidence, not because we're good, not because we got anything to bring, but because we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. We will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because, you know what, we'll be answering saying, hey, I have your works on my account, and you are perfect, and you are righteous, and I got nothing to bring, but I have your blood that covers my sins, and now I can enter, and, and, God, and Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But could you imagine what it's going to be like to stand in front of Jesus Christ and not have his blood? And you're going to look like these Pharisees in a moment where there's this blank stare and they're speechless. They can't say anything to Jesus because they have nothing. They have no response. They have no comeback. And they just freeze. They say absolutely nothing. If that's you, I mean, that's terrifying. And I pray that you make that right and that you accept the free gift of salvation, that you, that you repent of your sins, that you believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. So after he stares each individual down and they've, they've frozen, he says... Stretch out your hand. It's such a simple command. Stretch out your hand. But a miraculous work to do. And Jesus heals this man who has been afflicted for however long. 
We don't know. And Luke lets us know that immediately it's restored. It doesn't take any time. What Jesus does is perfect and quick. It's right. You think at this point the religious elites would be convinced. I mean, this guy's withered hand, maybe they even planted him there, and now he's there and his hand works. Like you would think, okay, you know, Jesus has already, he's taught them. He, he did a great job of teaching them the word. He taught them about what truth was, about how you should care for people, how you should be merciful, because God's merciful, how it's a sin to not do good when you have that in your power. Like he's opened up and exposited the word of God. He is the word made flesh, and he's you're like, man, you know, how could they not repent at this point and fall on their faces and say, woe is me, I'm sorry. You know, you're, you're right, God. Let me look at this amazing thing. But unfortunately, their hearts seem impenetrable. And, and just because, uh, they're just, but despite the uh, hardness of their hearts and the evil, they were conspri- conspiring to do Christ. We see number three, Jesus is greater than man's fury. Jesus is greater than man's fury. Verse 11, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus, and I'll just be honest, they weren't, they weren't wanting to throw him a party, and we'll, we'll see a little bit more. They weren't wanting to have a, just a, a, a you know, heart-to-heart, wonderful, nice conversation over coffee. Uh, the Greek word fury here is on you ah, which means anger, rage, or fury, and it refers to one that's out of their mind and just completely mad. Not like mad angry, which that's part of it, but like madness, like just crazy mad, uh, looking at that. And this is actually the only time we see Luke use this word in his gospel. And they're so blinded by their anger and their fury that they just missed what happened. They, they missed the fact that this man was healed right in front of them. In a parallel passage, Mark 3, 6, Mark says this, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against them how to destroy him. That's quite the word, isn't it? Wow, how to destroy him. So Mark lets us know that the scribes and Pharisees' hatred of Jesus was so bad they were murderous. They sought to, dis- to destroy him. Their hate was so strong. And they even resorted to hanging out with the Herodians. And for some of you are like, well, I don't know who the Herodians are anyway. So you may miss that point. But the Herodians were a very liberal group. So the Herodians were, were allies with the Herodian dynasty. And they were oftentimes with the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection because they were sad, you see. You'll, you'll always remember that, right? Because uh, there wasn't anything after, after this life. And, and they sympathized with the rulers of the, of, of the Herodian rulers who were allies of Rome. So they were kind of traitors. These were like the liberal tra- oh, yeah, we don't. The, the Pharisees were ultra-conservative. And obviously, we've already talked about they made up all these rules. They weren't conservative in a good way. They were conservative in a bad way, where they just kept adding things and adding things and legalists and that kind of thing. So you have these two groups that are like diametrically opposed. In almost every other situation, they would be adversarial, political enemies. And, you know, it's really like Democrats and Republicans today on these extremes. It's like the far progressive and the ultra-right. Uh, ultra and, and, you know, it's, it's like them getting together and holding hands and walking together in unity. Why? Because their hatred for Jesus, both of their hatreds for Jesus, was so strong that it bridged the gap. It bridged the, bridged the gap. You know, it kind of reminds me, you look at like the war with Russia and Ukraine. You see that, that when there's a, 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 an enemy, a political enemy, all of a sudden those things start to not matter as much, and so they, they get together. But for them, it was Jesus. And why? Because it was political. Jesus, they looked at as a threat to their political power. Jesus was stepping toe-to-toe. He was challenging each one of them and calling them out. And so they were united against Jesus. They sought to destroy him. And anger has that effect, doesn't it? When, when we're angry, we get we go, we got out of our mind sometimes. We, we, we get completely mad, and most people don't make the wisest decisions when they're mad. Even as the Pharisees did, their ultra-conservative selves, 
agreeing with to, to go ahead and hang out with the Herodians who were allies with Rome and were, you know, quote unquote, their enemies. In Matthew 5, 21 through 22, Jesus com- or compares anger to murder. You see, the anger is the precursor for this heinous crime as one stews in anger. Listen to James teach this as well. James 1, 20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not bring the righteousness of God. Yes, we're going to get inevitably angry at some times. And it's not a sin to, to feel anger. But in your anger, do not sin, Right? And so that means we need to ask God to help us to take captive our thoughts, to, to take captive our emotions, not be a slave to our emotions, not to be a slave to our thoughts, and calm down and allow the Holy Spirit to, to calm us down so that we make more righteous decisions. Because we will not, in our fallen state, we can't do what Jesus did, turning the tables over. We can't do that. Because He is God, so in His anger, He does not sin. But for us, we are sinful in our flesh. And when we get angry, we will sin. It's not if... Uh, or it's not, it's not a, you know, if, it's a when we will sin when we get angry if we, are, we don't watch ourselves. We see this in all kinds of aspects of our life, and I think this past week, oh, sorry, there you go. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you all saw that at all. Um, the Draymond Green stomp on the guy. The guy grabs his foot. They've been going at each other the whole game, and we see this in professional sports a lot. These guys get under each other's skin, and w- do they make good decisions when they're angry? No, no, I mean, you, you see this so often. I mean, we, we saw another thing like this uh, this past week, too, in, in professional sports. So in our, we must keep our anger in check, you know, because what happens? And, and this, Draymond ended up getting thrown out, and they end up losing the game because he's a pivotal player for the Golden State Warriors. You know, and for us, it, it kills our witness. You know, if we are believers and we do do things out of anger, all of a sudden, instead of being able to witness to that person, and, and instead of being able to, now they are like, oh, I'm not listening to anything you have to say, you know, we have to really watch ourselves. Getting back to our, our verse in verse 11, we, we saw that they are filled with fury. And they're on the exact, the religious leaders are on the exact opposite spectrum of Jesus. These leaders are merciful to the people and obviously merciless to Jesus as well. As theologian Kent Hughes asserts, true faith in God produces mercy. True faith in God produces mercy. So mercy is the opposite of anger. Uh, mercy sees enemies as somebody in need of a savior. And that's how we can love our enemies. Mercy sees enemies as someone who is in need of a savior. Anger sees them as somebody to get rid of, figure out how to off them, right? Uh, mercy sees enemies and has compassion for their lostness. And they see their soul, and yes, they're my enemy, but you know what? I don't want to see anyone spend eternity in hell, and so I need to share the gospel with them. Anger, however, sees enemies as an obstacle to get past throughout their day and just wipe them away. Getting back to the verse we discussed last week and this week, Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desire, I, de- I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I'm using the New King James because it uses the word mercy, whereas the ESV uses the word love. They're very interchangeable looking at that. But the religious leaders did not have mercy as they continued to lay heavy burdens on the people. They didn't have mercy. They could care less about this man with a withered hand. They're not sitting there like, oh, I hope this guy gets healed today. No, they're saying, how can we get Jesus? If he does this, we're, we're going to get him. He, they had no mercy or love toward the people. And this verse is very applicable to religious leaders and very applicable to today, too. Uh, for many people, it's easier to sacrifice and do, quote-unquote, religious things than to show true mercy to people. 
right? It, it, it's easier to give up a certain food for a certain time at Lent or whatever time than it is to invite somebody over in your home that maybe you don't like or maybe has a different political uh, view or, or different ideas than you have. Uh, it's easier to say three prayers a day than to go maybe serve at a children's shelter or foster kids or do whatever, you know. You see, mercy's hard because mercy costs us something. You know, it, it, costs us our, it may cost us our comfort. It may cost us our control. And frankly, for Jesus, it cost him his life is what mercy cost him. I mean, sacrifice, don't get me wrong, sacrifice can be difficult at times. You know, it, it is hard to sacrifice. But, but when we sacrifice, we're still kind of in control a little bit. We can determine how much we sacrifice, how much we give, and we kind of determine, okay, done. I, I'll give here, I'll give here, I'll give here, but now I'm done. But mercy's different. Mercy means you let go of yourself. Uh, mercy means you, it's Jesus at his best. You, you, you say you, you're not in the driver's seat anymore. Whereas sacrifice, you can kind of determine a little bit more. You can kind of measure that out. But mercy requires a complete handing over of what you think is just and righteous, what you could do, and you give it up. Uh, Jesus, it's Jesus at his best. He is merciful and loving. He always exalts the Father first and then shows mercy to, to the people. And what a Savior, church. I pray that we emulate Jesus Christ with our mercy and the way that we treat others. So as we come to a close, we've seen some wonderful qualities about Jesus, right? We, we've seen that he is fearless. Nothing shakes our Lord. He is a solid rock, a solid rock that we can depend on. We, we've seen that the human frailty, our frailty, is, not, is no match for Jesus Christ. He healed that man just like that. And finally, we see that his, his, he is greater than man's fury, and we saw that played out no greater than the cross. We, we saw man's fury hang him on the cross and him willingly go to it. He, remember, as we talked about last week, he handed himself over. But yet he overpowers man's fury and the unrighteousness of man with loving kindness and mercy in the form of salvation. You know, if you look at a lot of atheists, a lot of people, maybe they're unbelievers, a lot of times they're very furious at Jesus Christ, very furious at God. They, they, they hate the idea of God. And what did, God, what did God do? He was merciful, and he died on the cross for their sins. He, so, and here's the beautiful thing. After he died on the cross and offered salvation, when he rose three days later, he did not rise and come back and throw everybody into hell because of what they just did. He had every right to do that. He had every right that third day to come back, and the day of the Lord is at hand. You're all going there. I can't believe what you all did. You crucified the Son of God, everyone to hell. Like, that's where you're going. But he didn't. He, he overcame man's fury with mercy and grace, and he offered salvation to all. There is a time that the righteous justice of God will come. The day of the Lord is a promised thing throughout the pages, pages of Scripture. He will come back, and he will judge those who are not in Christ. But today, Today is the day of salvation. We see in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. There will be a day where the day of salvation has passed. There will be a day where the day of salvation is too late. You will end up in hell. That is, that is what the Bible teaches. And I would be, I know it's not nice to say you'll go, you're going to go to hell if you're not in Christ. It's not a real nice thing to do, but that is a very kind and loving and gracious thing to say, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And if you're not going to heaven, you're going to hell. And, so if, and there's only one way to heaven, and that is through who? 
Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. And so I love you too much to be nice, especially as I stand up here and I give an account for God myself. I want to make sure that I tell you the truth. Today is the day of salvation, and may his kindness and his mercy draw you to repentance and draw you to him. And for us who are already believers, may we worship a Savior who is greater than all fear. May we not be fearful because our Savior was not fearful and is not fearful. We can rely on him. May we realize that our bodies, as they may be wasting away, as they may be struggling, that God is greater than our frailty. And may we know that God is greater than man's fury. When we hear, we see the, the fury of the world, and we see the hate of the world toward us, toward God, and toward their fellow man, we know that Jesus, his mercy is greater. His love is greater. May we pray. Thank you, God, so much for your mercy and your loving kindness and your grace. Thank you that we need not fear of what tomorrow holds. Thank you that we don't need to fear about our health because we know one day we're going to get a new body that is perfect. And we also know that even while we're here, you have that power to heal us, Lord. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. We don't know how that works. We know that we need to have faith and we need to trust that you can, because we know that you can. You created the world. You created our bodies. How much more could you just heal something, as we just saw with this man with a withered hand as he raises it and is healed? We know you have that ability. And God, we do pray for our people that are struggling with sicknesses and illnesses and infirmities that you do offer your healing touch upon them, Lord. We have faith. We know that you can do it. And God, I do pray that, that you're merciful and kind to them and that you do offer your healing touch upon them. And Lord, we know that you are greater than the fury of man. As we watch the news, we see all of the fury of man throughout our nation with wars and with persecution, with fellow believers being thrown in prison and killed for their beliefs in you, Lord. But we know that you are greater than man's fury. We know that your mercy and your love is greater than the anger of man. So help us just to fully rely on you, Lord. If anyone here does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I'd love to talk to them about what it means to come to you and repent of their sins and trust in you for salvation. May they make that choice because of your loving kindness and mercy that you've offered. If anyone here is struggling with anything else, I'd love to talk to them after the service as well. Anything that they need to talk about. God, thank you so much for this people that you've uh, given me to shepherd. Thank you that we get to fellowship, and I just pray that you continue to grow us closer to you through your word. Thank you uh, for, for this wonderful day you've given us, and may we glorify you throughout this week. Amen. Have a blessed week, and thank you all for coming.